Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. Hey, thank you so much for being with us at our worship service tonight. We're so glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time to to spend the evening with us, worship Jesus and hear the word. Um, Real quick story. So on September 11th, 2001, I remember being in Spanish class and uh, the teacher came in and turned on the TV and I watched a plane fly into uh, the World Trade Center and I watched the Pentagon and the World Trade Center towers falling and just all of the events unfolded through the day, that day in high school. And within about a month, we were officially in the war on terror uh, and going into Afghanistan. And then we were told that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And that was, and we went to war with Iraq in 2003. And a number of the young men in my small West Texas high school actually ended up joining the military in that season to serve and protect our nation. And uh, one of those guys was a guy named Jason Poindexter, and uh, his nickname was Porky. I wasn't super close to him but he, because he was a great ahead of me, uh, but I did know him because it was a small enough school. We played football together, and uh, he was just a really fun-loving, like fun guy. He was a little mischievous and, and silly, but he was a really, really sweet guy. And he enlisted in the Marines, and on September 12th, 2004, after only uh, less than a week in Iraq, he was killed by an IED. And it was devastating for our town. It was devastating, you know, for for those that were close to him, obviously for his family. And so that was in September. Then in October, a report was released that, in fact, there weren't, they weren't able to find any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which was the whole reason Jason was there. (laughs) And uh, and there wasn't anything there. So I was super confused and frustrated. Um, I had classmates that were already deployed or were going to be deployed. Uh, in the coming weeks and months to Iraq or Afghanistan, and it was an election year. 2004 was an election year. And so the incumbent candidate was George Bush, and uh, he had initiated the military action in Iraq, and his opponent, John Kerry, had voted in favor of the military action in Iraq. Um, But now he was saying, well, he was in the Senate, but now he was saying he was opposed to it as a candidate. And I was 19 years old at the time, and this was my first election to, to vote in. And so I was supposed to choose between these two guys. And and I felt like one of the issues that I was voting on was whether or not I was okay with more of my friends dying. Um, Charlie, Larry, Don, uh, Jorge, Ryan, they were all in the military. They were all going to be deployed. And I was, so it was deeply personal for me. And it really wasn't, it wasn't the only issue that I cared about, but I mean, there were other things that I felt really strongly about, but the stakes seemed really, really high for me. Uh, Neither party seemed to fully encapsulate what I valued and what I, what I cared about, what I believed. And it was really a horrible feeling to me to feel like I couldn't feel confident in choosing either side. It was a crazy first time voting experience. And here you guys are. (laughs) For many of you guys, This is your first time to vote, most of you actually. And so you have this new opportunity to shape culture, to exercise your right as a citizen of our country. And here we are, there's a pandemic, there's racial injustice, there's economic instability, and on and on and on. And the stakes 
like it was for me so many years ago, the stakes are high for you today as you as you decide to vote. And this election season is really important. And participating and choosing our leaders is a responsibility that we don't take lightly. It does matter. It has an impact. And some of you may feel like really confident uh, about your vote, which is great. Um, But some of you may be like I was at 19 and frustrated by your options, like not really feeling great about uh, who you had to choose from in our in our presidential election. And to complicate it even further, uh, we live in a day where there are moral judgments assigned to whichever way you vote. Um, it's not just about different opinions. It's about like good and evil. <laughs> and no matter how you vote, it sort of seems like half the country is going to think you're evil <laughs> if you vote a certain way. So that makes it a lot of fun, right? Um, I'm super grateful that as far as followers of Jesus... Uh, we have scripture to turn to in times like these. Jesus was actually faced with what appeared to be an impossible political choice in his day. And I think we can gain some insight from that. So in Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, uh, scripture says this, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with supporters of Herod to meet with him. So some of the Pharisees' disciples were coming and also some of the people uh, that would have wanted to arrest Jesus, uh, depending on how he answered the question that they were about to try to trap him with. So the stakes are really high, um, and, and his future is sort of based on how he answers this question. So they say this in verse 16, Teacher, We know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked whose image and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. They're asking Jesus in this moment, like, whose side are you on, right? Whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the Pharisees? Are you on the side of the religious leaders? Are you on the side of Rome? And and so if you side with the Pharisees and say we shouldn't pay taxes, uh, you get arrested, right? But if you side with the pagans, the, the Romans, the pagans, you could lose your religious credentials. So either way you lose. This is like an impossible situation, at least it seems like, for Jesus. And they're saying, which side are you on? And Jesus, I love his response here. He basically says, neither. Like, I'm not on either side. He he affirms the authority of the Roman government. Like, he didn't go all, like, anarchists and say, burn it all down, right? Like, But he also didn't affiliate himself with the Pharisees. They were self-righteous. They were hypocrites. They didn't reflect the heart of God. And so Jesus actually doesn't take the bait here. His reply reveals that his ultimate loyalty is to God alone, his Father. And he's communicating to the people around him that are in this situation that their ultimate loyalty should be to God as well. The honest follow-up question to what Jesus says, right? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The the honest follow-up question that that should have been asked is, well, what's God's? And the answer is the same, actually. Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? Scripture teaches us in Genesis 1, 27 and 28 that we are made in God's image. 
male and female are made in God's image. Whose image is on us? It's God's image. So give to God what belongs to God. All of us. Us. We ultimately belong to God, not to our government, not even to like a denomination or a church. Uh, Our loyalty is actually to a higher authority. It's to God and to his kingdom. And that's the lens that we can view politics and elections through in this season. Like we don't have to take the bait of choosing sides. Jesus constantly taught on and talked about the kingdom of God, of which he is the king. And when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, they said, teach us how to pray. This is something in the prayer that he taught them that he said, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught us to pray for and to extend his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Not a particular political party, platform, or politician. And this means that our party affiliation, no matter... uh, no matter our vote, is is the party. It's not really the party of the donkey or the elephant or the porcupine, if you're a libertarian, right? It's not really about that. It's actually about being the party of the lamb. Jesus in scripture is referred to as the lamb of God. And so we are actually, as believers, the party of the lamb. I love that the way pastor and theologian Dr. Tony Evans puts this. He says that Christians are called to be kingdom independence. We're called to be kingdom independence, the party of the lamb. We, li- we think and we believe independently of these parties. So that means that we may vote Republican or we may vote Democrat or we may vote Libertarian, but our affiliation is actually with the kingdom. And so the lens that we view those votes through is the kingdom. And I love that Dr. Evans says this, if you vote... Whether you vote Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, you're actually Democrat light. You're actually Republican light or Libertarian light. You're not fully in that. You're you're, you're voting that way, but your affiliation is with the Lamb. And so our call as believers is to search the scriptures, to pray, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and to vote in the way that we feel the Spirit leading us. And the way that we discern is the best way to actually extend the kingdom of God on earth. As Christian voters, that is our responsibility. And that's actually not an easy task because there is no simple Christian choice. Okay, Both parties have values that are in alignment with Scripture and the kingdom of God. And both parties have values that are out of alignment, out of alignment with Scripture and the kingdom of God. Tim Keller, pastor in Manhattan in, in New York City, uh, puts it this way when he talks about the church and the political situation we find ourselves in. The political polarization that's happening now is a major challenge for churches because here's my reading of the Bible. My reading of the Bible says that Christians ought to be sold out for racial justice, that all races are equal in the image of God. They should be deeply concerned about the poor and the marginalized. They should be pro-life and they should believe at least for Christians that sex should only be between a man and a woman in marriage. Now, those four things, the early church was marked by them. We know that. Two of those look very conservative and two of those look very liberal. And so what happens is there's enormous pressure, enormous pressure everywhere in the country for churches to major in two of them and get quiet about two of them. So here's the thing. If you're trying to vote kingdom independent or party of the lamb, you're probably going to sense a tension here. (laughs) Like we can't say there's only one right party. (laughs) 
that there's only one holy evil or one holy good like party. That it, it's not that simple. And we can understand that other people may prayerfully vote differently than us. And that's okay. We don't, we don't have to make a moral judgment of others based simply on the way they vote. We're the party of the Lamb. We're kingdom independence. But like Tim Keller said in that quote, like we're called to engage on these issues, to discuss them from a biblical perspective. And that raises a very important question for us, right? How can we discuss these things in a constructive way and live in unity when there's so much division and there's so much disunity? And here again, Scripture actually helps us. We look in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and see Jesus choosing his disciples. And in the list of disciples, we can see two, two different guys that would have been on the total opposite ends of the political spectrum. We see Simon the Zealot and we see Matthew the tax collector. Now the Zealots were a political, a Jewish political party faction um, that were extremely nationalistic. They were very angry that Rome was, was over uh, the Jewish nation. And so they were all about, let's overthrow that. Let's uh, undo all of that. Let's become an independent nation again. And even on the far extremes, they would they were like terrorists. They would actually kill people that were allied with Rome um, in, in different times. And so we have this guy who's considered a zealot, nationalistic, right? And then you have the tax collector. And so the tax collector, Matthew, would have been a guy that was actually allied with Rome. He's working for Rome to collect Roman taxes from Jewish citizens. So in, in the Jews in that day, they even had their own category of sinners. It was like tax collectors and sinners, right? And so uh, even Jews didn't really like tax collectors, but certainly zealots didn't. They did not like one another. But what we see here is that these guys, even though they should have never gotten along, even though they would have been political rivals, they were brothers in the family of God. Under Jesus... Under his rule, under his reign, they were able to get along. They were able to change the world. And our membership in the body of Christ actually transcends our political views. And these guys got it. They got it. And they, they ended up changing the world. I love this quote, man, that helps us kind of understand maybe how we could talk about this. It's actually from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She said this, you can disagree without being disagreeable. You could disagree without being disagreeable. Scripture teaches us how to engage with one another as followers of Jesus. I want to share a few passages of Scripture with you here. James 1, 19 and 20 says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you find yourself asking the question or thinking, I can't understand how anyone would vote a certain way, then ask them to help you understand why they would vote that way <laughs> and listen to their answer. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Man, we don't want to be like that. We want, we want to operate in understanding and, and listen to what other people feel and believe. Like We don't have to assume that they're a moral monster based on the way they may vote or the political leaning they may have. Like We can learn about them and appreciate their perspectives. They just might be willing to listen to ours if we'll do that. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Another translation says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything. That includes school, that includes 
everything, right? Including politics. So, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. The way that we talk about political things together determines whether or not we are a light in the dark world. The body of Christ should be the example to the world on how to navigate these conversations. We should show them what it looks like to have disagreements without being disagreeable and to be able to shine like a light in the dark world. Like we should model this well and we can do it. I believe that we can do it. Last passage here is Philippians 4, 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Are we able to see the things that someone from the other political party is passionate about that are honorable, that are true, that are lovely, that are excellent? Can we look at the things of the platforms that that are there that we could say that is godly? I see that. I understand why you believe in that. Could we do that? Can we affirm those things? I think that that is part of our responsibility as believers is to be able to look at someone else's passions and giftings and the things that they're wired for and be able to say, yeah, I see that. That's godly. And I appreciate that about you, even if we disagree on some other things. I had one of these conversations with my brother recently. We have very different opinions on some political and social things. And We actually hold pretty strong opinions, um, but we had a really long conversation about these things without any name calling or without getting ticked off. And, And I understood his perspective better at the end, and I think he understood mine. We weren't out really to change each other's opinions or change each other's minds or win an argument, but really to better understand where each other were coming from and to hopefully become more like Jesus as a result of of talking through this. And it was a really fruitful and encouraging and godly discussion, even if we didn't come away having like this total shift in our perspectives. And really, that's the reality for us as Christians as we approach this. In the kingdom, the person who votes for a different party is not my enemy. He's my brother. We're family no matter what party we vote for if we're part of the kingdom of God. And we should act like it. We should model this. The world should be able to look at the church and say, they can disagree without being disagreeable. And if we're being honest, if we look at social media and we look at the things we're seeing, we are not doing a good job of this. But friends, students, horn frogs, let's model this well for the world so that they can see the hope of Jesus. Even when the stakes are high, even when there's incredible polarization, like we don't have to fall victim to that division. God wants us to be unified. But even if we know how to talk about it, like that doesn't negate the fact that the stakes are high and it still feels like there's a lot on the line and life as we know it a little bit is in in peril. And the outcome of this election really will determine whether or not, well, at least it seems like the outcome of this election will determine whether or not our nation sort of collapses. And why is that? Like, why do we feel that way, that, that it's like really, really, really intense? It's partly because that's exactly what the parties are saying to us. I want to look at some quotes from the Republican National Convention speech and the Democratic National Convention speech that Trump and Biden gave as they accepted their nominations uh, for, for the candidacy of presidency. Joe Biden said this, All elections are important, but we know in our bones this one 
is more consequential. President Trump said this, Everything we have achieved is now endangered. This is the most important election in the history of our country. Man, if you hear that and you believe that, I don't know how you couldn't be a little bit anxious and a little bit fearful, right? Here's another couple of quotes. Trump said, I will defend the absolute right of every American citizen to live in security, dignity, and peace. Biden says this, I will make you this promise. I will protect America. I will defend us from every attack, seen and unseen, always, without exception, every time. Wow. If I believe those things, then I need to put my trust in the one who is going to take care of me, who's going to protect me. If that's true, man, we got to get behind whoever it is that's going to protect us, right? Here's another uh, series of quotes. Trump said this, And this election will decide whether we will defend the American way of life or whether we will allow a radical movement to completely dismantle and destroy it. Biden said this, This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. The message here is there is a threat to our way of life. There is a threat that we could lose our very heart and soul of our nation. Now, to be fair, okay, that's not the only things the parties are saying. That's not even the only things the candidates are saying. They're, they're saying encouraging and inspiring things as well. But sprinkled out through all of the speeches of the conventions and what we see on media and all that and advertising and, and all of that, we're being told by each party over and over, and we see it on social media and we see it and hear it in our conversations. If you vote one way, you'll be protected and cared for. We'll be moving forward toward our vision of utopia. We'll have what you always hope for. It'll be like heaven. And if you vote the other way, democracy is, is going to literally die. You might literally die. Everything you love and believe in will be destroyed. It'll be like hell. The parties are really saying, put your hope and trust in us or else. That's threat. That's fear. And the saddest part is so many Christians are actually buying that. Like we're succumbing to the fear and, and putting all of our hope and all of our trust in a political party. But I want to challenge you with this thought. What you put your ultimate hope and trust in reveals what you worship. What you put your ultimate hope and ultimate trust in reveals what your God is. That's true if you put your hope in your GPA. If everything is riding on what kind of grade you get, that is what you're worshiping, right? If you're putting all your hope and all your trust in the future, your future spouse, like that's an object of worship for you. If you're putting all your hope and trust in, in your future career, that's, that's an issue. It reveals what you're worshiping. And so what we put our ultimate hope and trust in reveals our worship and our heart towards a thing. And so for some people who don't know Jesus, maybe um, the only hope they have really is a political party or really is voting a certain way or, or, or this going. But, but as Christians, we should know that our hope is not in this world or the things of the world. Our hope is in God and Jesus and his power and his kingdom, not the kingdoms of man. No matter what happens as a result of any election, whether it feels like heaven or hell on earth, right? we trust Jesus. We place our present and future hope in his capable hands. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can be sober-minded. We don't have to be afraid. 
because our lives are surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he is trustworthy, no matter who is elected November 3rd. But last thing, what, what do we do after we cast our vote? What happens on November 4th? Okay. If we put our trust in politicians and our responsibility ends on November 3rd, we cast our vote, we cross our fingers, hope the person that we voted for gets elected. And if they don't, we go, well, I guess there's not, nothing I can do about racial reconciliation. Um, hopefully it's fixable in four years. Or we go, well, we'll take another crack at the sanctity of life, you know, in the midterm elections. But until then, we'll just have to deal with it. Like, yes, politicians have real and significant impact on the issues we face, like face, uh, who is in office actually really does make a difference. But as Christians, our responsibility doesn't end with our vote. It actually culminates with our lives. We have work to do. I love this quote from Dr. Tony Evans again about politics. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Followers of Jesus are called to change the world. Our vote on November 3rd does matter, but not nearly as much as what we do with our lives in the weeks and the months and the years that follow. If you have a passion and a conviction for the sanctity of life, please vote for it. But also go serve somewhere like the Fort Worth Pregnancy Center where you can help young moms value their child and know their options. And please, later in life, plan on fostering and adopting an orphan someday when you have a family. If you have a passion for the poor, please vote uh, for the poor, but also go partner with a place like Union Gospel Mission here in Fort Worth that serves hundreds of meals every day and helps rehabilitation for uh, the residents on the streets in Fort Worth. Plan to live off way less money than, than you make someday so you can support those in need in your community. If you have a passion for bib a biblical sexual ethic and a biblical marriage, like vote for that but also live that conviction by fleeing from sexual sin and pornography now and bring glory to God by making a wise marital choice and being an example of his grace through your future marriage. As believers, we have to understand that it has never been the responsibility of any government anywhere on the planet to change the world. That's our responsibility. Jesus called 12 apostles and other men and women that were his disciples to lead the expansion of his kingdom on this earth by the power of his Holy Spirit. This small group that he had, this, this life group, right, changed the world around them. That's our call. That's our mission as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to continue to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, no matter who is in office. I love this quote from Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Can you imagine what the world around us could look like even just four years from now if we voted and lived our convictions and our passions? How different could things be in the areas that are close to the heart of God and that we're deeply passionate about Let's pray for and fight for the kingdom of God and see what he can do in and around our lives. And please vote. Please take that responsibility seriously, but think about it through a kingdom lens. Don't live in fear. Love one another. Be united and understand that we still have work to do in this world. I'd love to pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I just pray that 
in the midst of all of this, you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see you, that you would open our ears, that we would be able to hear your voice. God, that we would operate by the kingdom values of love and unity and service to you and your mission. And God, I just pray that whatever happens as a result of November 3rd, we understand you're still in, in control. You're still on the throne. We still have a job to do. Our hope and our trust and our faith is in you. And we can stand firm in that no matter what happens. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit tcuxa.com. God bless and go Frogs.